Before our sermon today, um, today's a bit of an anniversary here at Redeemer Church. Five years ago, um, we had our first worship service here at 177 Bonita Parkway. Um, And so today, we want to remember and celebrate God's goodness and kindness to us on this property. So some of you hear that and you think, oh, Redeemer existed before that? Yes, seven years in the YMCA. Some of you hear this and think, oh yeah, that was the last time I had to bring two pairs of clothes to church, like the the setup clothes and the worship clothes. Others of you thought, oh yeah, that was the last time I needed an IV before Sunday school to get hydrated because the trailer was so hot. All of those might be true, but if that's all we think about today. We've missed the point. There are two really important things I want to focus on. Number one, um, Mr. Bill, Mr. Frank, Ms. Shirley, Ms. Charlesy, four dear saints who have walked with Jesus for longer than most of us have been alive. We've gotten the privilege of having them a part of our church family for the last five years. None of them are in this service Um, fitting stereotype, they come to the early service. Um, But we love them dearly, and we're so glad that we've got to be a family of God with them for the last five years. If you don't know any of those four people, you're you're missing some real gems, and I, I would point them out to you. Second, these dear people entrusted a gospel legacy to us. They entrusted a gospel legacy to us. 48 years ago, 48 years ago, a group of Christians prayerfully decided that they wanted to be a physical representation of the body of Jesus and and the gospel of Jesus right here on this piece of property into this growing community. And here we stand 48 years later, and there are 3,000 people. 3,000 plus families within one mile of where you sit right now. Gospel legacy needed. Gospel faithfulness needed. And what these dear saints did was they didn't just give us a building so we didn't have to sweat anymore. And they didn't just give us a building so we could have a sign out front but they entrusted a gospel legacy on this part of God's creation to us. And so today, as we, Redeemer, celebrate five years in this property, let's pray and think about and envision the next 15 being faithful ambassadors of Jesus right here. That's, what, that's why the, the Lord has providentially given us this property at this time that we would faithfully work for his glory and his kingdom. So I'm hoping that our remembrance here today that none of you knew about before I said anything. I bet you did, didn't you, Stephen? you got all these strange dates floating in your head. You remember this, didn't you? Yeah, see? Okay. That it would spur us to say, Lord, thank you, and Lord, help us be 
faithful. So I'm going to conclude my first sermon of the day by praying as we prepare for the second one. So our Father, thank you. We thank you that you have given each of us life. You've called each of us to faith. You've given each of us your spirit in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've pulled us together at this time in this place that we would worship, hear your word, follow you, celebrate you, love others as you have loved us and call us to bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, help us. Please, oh God, help us. Please bless us. Please stir faithfulness in us. Please make us a people who hear your word and walk in your Please make us a people that help one another follow you and invite others to you. God, would you do great work here for your glory. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon passage for this morning is Psalm 81. <clears throat> Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel will walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Friends, thanks so much for being with us today. If you haven't done so already, please take a Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter 82. Uh, there is one under the chair in front of you if you don't have one uh, with you today. I said 82, I meant 81. So, but if you get to 82, you're really close. Really, really close. Um, Psalm 81. Here at Redeemer this summer, uh, we are spending our Sundays in the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are a collection of prayers and songs of worship to God. Ultimately, the Psalms teach us how to pray. They teach us how to worship. They teach us how to approach God. And we want to learn from 
them. So that's what we're doing this summer. Today, we're here in Psalm 81. And so the question is, what does Psalm 81 teach us about approaching God? What does Psalm 81 teach us about worship? And there are two very specific answers. A better preacher might take these two and meld them into one pithy statement, but I'm not that guy. So there's two answers, okay? Two answers. The first answer is this. Sometimes the Lord commands us to worship no matter how we feel. Sometimes the Lord commands us to worship no matter how we feel. And second... Obedience to God is an act of worship. Obedience to God is an act of worship. Or maybe another way to say that would be rebelling against God is turning away from God. Obedience to God is an act of worship. And so those two truths work their way through this psalm. And our goal this morning is to figure them out. First point, a time to worship. A time to worship. Um, Since um, this sermon's not recorded, and since none of you have to go to work tomorrow, I'm just going to rift here for a little bit and, and go really long. Is that good? Like, my meat's not due off the smoker till about 4.45 this afternoon. So time's on our side. And some of you guys are like, oh, no. (laughs) Ever since I turned in these sermon points, a time to worship, for some reason, um, I have in my mind um, the Kevin Bacon movie where he says, it's a time to dance. And I can't remember the name of that movie right now. Footloose, there we go, see? I don't know why I have Footloose in my mind, but sometimes you just have Footloose in your mind. Um, Time to worship. So here's what's going on in Psalm 81. God, through the psalmist, says, come to Jerusalem and throw a celebration. Come to Jerusalem and throw a celebration. That's what it is. Most scholars, verse 4, it's a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made a decree in Joseph when he went over the land of Egypt. Most scholars rightly argue that this psalm is an invitation for one of the annual feasts, the Feast of the Tabernacles, that happens in the seventh month right after the produce of the field has been gathered. And what the psalmist is saying is, come to Jerusalem Get with the people and throw a party because it's time to celebrate God and God's goodness and God's faithfulness. So, there are times that the Lord says it's time to worship. It's time to worship. Now, there's another hint running through this psalm. And the other hint running through this psalm is things don't seem to be going particularly well in Israel at this time. Because God is saying things like, if you would just listen to me, if you would just not turn away from me, 
If you would just listen to me, if you would just follow me, if you would just open your mouth, I would feed you. If you just would not turn away from me. So there's this this reality going on where it's time for a feast. Things don't appear to be going particularly well in Israel. And you know what God's answer to that is? Come to Jerusalem, throw a party, celebrate my goodness and my faithfulness. So we get, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. I'm not screaming at you. I'm just showing you there's an exclamation point there. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre and the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. Blow the shofar to say, this is the day to celebrate God's goodness, faithfulness, kindness, and mercies, even when they maybe aren't abundant all around us. We remember his past faithfulness. We remember his past goodness. We remember his character. We celebrate him. What are we going to celebrate? It seems like the psalmist always goes back to the Exodus. Like, 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 I haven't preached one of these yet that doesn't refer back to the Exodus. He says, look, verse 6, verse 5. I went over the land of Egypt. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. I freed your hands from the basket. You called, I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place. At Meribah, even when you doubted me and questioned me and I tested you, I still gave you the water. I was still faithful to you. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will feel it. Do you, do you hear what the Lord's doing running through this psalm? It's time for the feast. There was a purpose for the feast. The feast is to recalibrate the people of God to the goodness and faithfulness and ongoing covenant love of God. The feast is to produce joy, not joy to produce a feast. And that order really matters because we're hardwired as Americans to say, if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't do it. Frankly, that's just a lie. There are tons of things that you should do whether you feel like it or not. And God's saying, it's time to worship Come to Jerusalem, throw a party, celebrate my goodness, because it's the worship that reinvigorates the faith. It's the worship that calls for obedience. It's the worship that moves us toward joy. It seems to be the underlying tone of Psalm 81. Now, if I could just take a moment. Friends, we have worked hard over the last few weeks here to go down the lament path, meaning understanding that the world and this church is filled with people who are hurting deeply right now, physically, emotionally, relationally, hurting deeply. And so we've tried to spend some time highlighting the Psalms that say God meets us in our weakness. 
God cares for us tenderly in our brokenness. And those things are all true. But what Psalm 81 says to the hurting and to the broken and to the doubting and to the confused and to the concerned is sometimes you need to have your eyes taken off all that mess and look to the Lord. Because sometimes the path to joy is a worship that you don't even feel like engaging. So I'm not trying to trample anyone who's doubting. I'm not trying to snuff out anyone who's hurting. But I am saying that Psalm 81 says, hey, you had a good crop, come to the feast. You who had a terrible crop, come to the feast. God's faithful to both of you. And we're going to celebrate that. Anything that we do from faith in Christ is pleasing to the Lord. So to worship, to testify, to cry out, to celebrate, to tell of God's faithfulness, to come to the gathering of the people, to look toward God together, these Acts are pleasing to the Lord. And what the Lord seems to say throughout the scripture in general and through this psalm particularly is, come to worship. It's time to worship. There are no if clauses. Sing aloud. Shout for joy. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. Sound the sweet lyre. Sound the harp. Blow the trumpet. Well, but my disposition is not one of expressiveness. Sing aloud. Shout for joy. Raise a song. That's right. I just want to challenge me, the most emotionally repressed of all of us. And therefore you. That the time of worship is truly a gift that encourages and fans the flame of faith and moves the faithful toward joy. So a little insider baseball, friends. When we gather every week, it's not just for the joyful. It's to fan the flame of faith and move us all down the path of joy. Sing aloud, shout for joy, raise a song, sound the tambourine and the lyre and the heart, blow the trumpet. Well, what if I don't know what to celebrate? Well, This psalm intentionally celebrates the exodus. Why is that? Why is it that every psalm goes back to the exodus? Because that was the most known story of God among the people. Because it was the shaping reality 
of the people. So we go back to it again and again and again. We were in slavery. We were in hardship. We didn't know where to turn. Generation upon generation of us cried out to the Lord. And the Lord came and raised up Moses. And the Lord spoke. And the Lord delivered. And the Lord tore down Pharaoh. And the Lord tore down Pharaoh's army and the Lord brought us out and he gave us his law and he met with us at Sinai and he took us to the promised land and he defeated our enemies. And if he can do that, he can do that again and again and again. And these stories are intended to stoke the fires of faith that move a hurting people toward joy. Friends, But all these Old Testament appeals to the Exodus give us an even greater appeal. To Jesus, the Son of God, who is the greater Exodus, the greater Moses, and the true Israel. Jesus, the Son of God, who looked upon the people of God, not just in physical slavery, but in spiritual bondage, in spiritual Sin and death, stuck and broken for generation upon generation upon generation, crying out, how long, O Lord? And Jesus, the Son of God, came, born of a virgin, took on physical flesh, fulfilled the law of God, and offered his perfectly righteous, holy life on a cross as a sacrifice for sin and sinners, taking the wrath of God against sin on himself so that sinners like us could be freed and delivered and accepted and called children of God forever. Every bit of our brokenness connects to that shaping story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can tell it again and again and again. And we get tired of telling it and we're like, can we have a new story? And then we go get in our car and we scream at our children and we're reminded of our sin and we're reminded that we need the gospel again and again. Is that just me? Is it just me? Again. And again and again. So this psalm challenges us to see worship as a gift to move us toward joy in God, not as something that's for those who are joyful already. That distinction is really important. Joy comes from worship, not worship from joy. Second thing we see in this psalm is a time to listen, a time to listen. Guys, I got three teenagers in my house, so all roads lead to parenting illustrations, just every road. But I said a time to listen, and all you parents perked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Except in this one, you're the kid who won't close your mouth and do what you're told. But it's a time to listen. Here's what the Lord says. Come, come to Jerusalem. Throw a party. Celebrate my goodness. And remember that obedience is worship. What the Lord wants his people to remember is that all he really wants from them is to listen and follow him. 
to hear him and obey him, to hear him and walk in his ways. This is what the Lord wants from his people. Now, now rather, I don't want you to think I'm overplaying my hand here. Look at verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. If you would listen. Verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Israel would not yield its way to my way. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. If mere repetition means anything, and by the way, it does, particularly in Old Testament and particularly in Hebrew poetry, if repetition means anything, What's the main thrust of this psalm? God desires his people to hear, not just audibly hear the word, but hear the word in such a way that the Lord is followed and obeyed and yielded to and served. Christians, our worship of God is never less than obedience to God. And faith and obedience, they work together. Because if we hear and we trust, we move. If we hear and we trust, we respond. If we hear and we trust, we do. So this psalm begins to drive home to us that worship includes listening to the word of the Lord. And worship includes listening to the word of the Lord in such a way that we obey the will of the Lord. God wants his people to walk in his ways. Now let's, let's go back to the psalm and let, let's wrestle with how it fleshes this out. Go back to verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. So, listening to the Lord means not turning to other gods. Listening to the Lord means not turning to other gods. Because I am the Lord your God. I am the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So not listening is paired with not submitting. So listening to the word and the will and the direction of the Lord includes yielding to and submitting to the will and the ways of the Lord. 
And I think verse 12 is, is the scathing rebuke. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. It's not language we use often, but here's what the Lord's saying. If you won't listen to my way, I'm going to let you follow all the other ways that you're so eager to listen to, and hopefully you'll learn that my way is the better way and return to me. So doesn't this put two questions before us? What other allegiances and loyalties other gods compete with our allegiance to the one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our loyalty to Him? The second hard question, what other counsels, what other words, what other direction is pulling us away from the direction of the voice of the one true God, the Father of Jesus? And whatever those things Let's set them aside because if you would but listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me and walk in my ways. Now, when it comes to other counsels, I, I want to do a little bit of application for a moment, okay? This is going to get uncomfortable for everybody. You all hold on your person right now, a device that's created to distract you. So it's not so much that media and social media and phones and email and all of those things are intended to create a singular voice that distracts us from the voice of the Lord, but rather what they do is they create a cacophony of voices that make us so distracted that we fail to follow the voice of the Lord. Now, if you're not, we're not going to have a march to the altar where everybody leaves their smart device here, but John Robus, that would be a great fundraiser. We could sell those on Gazelle this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, John's our treasurer. That's why I'm grafting him into this, this fundraising scheme. Um, that's not where this is going. I'm not up here to decry the evils of the age so that we can turn the Puritan key and go pretend like the world doesn't exist. But rather, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is we need to realize that there are intentions behind all the things that we immerse ourselves in. So rather than being a people pulled toward individual world religions or a people pulled toward other deities, we're just a distracted people that don't know our left from our right and don't know the way forward. 
So the antidote is not to leave your phone up here on the altar unless you need to, and then we'll put it in the safe for a few weeks, but till your boss calls. But are you going to answer all those this week, Austin? Yeah, okay, good, good. Um, but the antidote is to say this. Where's the space in my life to hear the word of the Lord? Where's the space in my life to, to read, to hear, to submit, to consider, to engage with the wisdom and the word and the truth of the Lord? Because it seems in Psalm 81 to matter deeply that God's people would hear and believe and be obedient as a part of a life that worships Well, that's all I can handle emotionally this week when it comes to takeaways here. That one cuts pretty deep. I'm just kidding about, anyway, never mind. That was supposed to be funny and nobody laughed. Um, but seriously, the psalm teaches us that sometimes it's just a time to worship. The joy comes from the worship. And the psalm teaches us that it's always a time to listen. Because obedience is always part of worship. When the psalmist says, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. When the psalmist says, I haven't subdued their enemies. What the, psalm, what, what the Lord through the psalmist is saying is, I'm not going to bless your disobedience. I'm not going to bless your disobedience. That doesn't always mean that hardship is because of disobedience. But it does mean that the Lord's not going to bless our rebellion against him. Let's walk with him. I want to end with this word. Often when we talk about obedience and blessing, accidentally God, or maybe intentionally, God gets painted as this angry, holy deity that's withholding good from his people. And that's just not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is a loving, benevolent, holy God who has at great cost to himself redeemed his people and is eager to pour his blessing out upon them. Verse 8, if you would but listen to me, I am the Lord your God, verse 10, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's the Lord saying? Saying, come to me eager for care and provision and I will meet your needs. Just come and open your mouth and say, Lord, fill me. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their foes. I would cause their enemies to cringe. But he, Israel, would, I'm sorry, he, the Lord, would feed you, Israel, with the finest of the wheat. And with the honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Like, oh, that's so cool. The best wheat. Yay. I'm allergic. Gluten-free. 
the honey from the rock. Yay! No, 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 no. This is an invitation to the Feast of the Tabernacles, which happens in the seventh month, right after the harvest has been gathered. Yay, the harvest, except they didn't have Kroger. You couldn't just run and get some spice that you forgot to put in the pot roast for lunch today. The harvest, that was your year's provision. Your next year is hanging in the balance of the harvest. Come to the celebration. And what does the Lord say? I'm eager to give you the finest of the wheat and the sweetest of the honey. What the Lord is saying is, I'm eager to pour my provision and my blessing out upon my people. God is a benevolent, loving Father who's eager to care for His people. So we worship Him, and we celebrate Him, and we remember His faithfulness, and we listen to Him, and we follow Him because He's not going to lead us into the abyss. He's eager to fill our open mouths, and He's eager to bring us the great harvest, and He's eager to tenderly care for His flock. Oh, people of Jesus! We have access to this God because of Christ and what he's done for us. There's not a one-to-one correlation, Israel, to us. But yet, the people of Jesus have the promises of the people of God now and always. Tell the story. Come to worship. Look for joy. Hear the word. Submit to the word. Because he is good and he's eager to pour his blessing out on his people. So now our Father and our God, we pray earnestly that you would take this word which you've spoken today and you would pour it upon your people. If what's been said is true, if it's right, if it's good, oh Lord, would you cause us to hear it, to receive it, to believe it, to follow you, to walk in your ways, O oh God, would you help us? Would you work in power through this gathering, we pray in Jesus' name.